Hello and welcome to Spoil Your Reign. This is an episode on the current political scene in Ireland. We're thinking of it as the first quarterly review of 2017. And I'm joined as always by... Uh, Jack Kerwin. John. Yes, we, we know you're Sorry. Um, so confused for a moment. <laughs> we're going to do an overview kind of episode today uh, because there's been a lot of events happening in the news and, and you've been in touch with us and we are now responding. And we want to sort of follow up from our earlier January episode of which was sort of 2016 review and sort of what we thought was going to be happening and sort of sort of lay out what has happened thus far in the political scene like how close are we to another general election how close are we to total bananas and chaos and all the usual stuff that happens inside Ireland you know it's been an interesting really it's been an interesting two months January and yeah. February were pretty quiet but uh, then the Garda inquiry happened and everything just started spiraling from there really well, yeah. I mean, it, it isn't good when the guards start making up millions and millions of records. Oh, well, that's the best thing they did of the bad things they did. <laughs> and actually, I was talking about—I was talking to someone about this. Um, I don't know if our listeners know this, but the guards use a p- computer system known as Pulse. Now, it's an acronym. I have no idea what it stands for, but basically, it's like a series of um, databases that are interlinked, where they input all the information. So when they catch you for speeding, they have to code that data so it all has like a you know a series of letters and numbers, yeah. and each of that equals a crime, and so on and so forth. So the guards were completely resistant to pulse happening because they liked their old system, and the argument made in the mid two thousands by the senior guards to the doll in public was that this would be far too onerous for guards to do because, well, they don't really know how to use computers, which was kind of a scary thing to be said, you know, in public where people can listen to that. So anyway, they rammed it through in 2005 and they made them embrace this pulse system. And due to the pulse system, we were actually able to figure out that they were making up what seems like a million, maybe 1.1 million records, which is insane. Well, the bigger problem overall with the the scandal surrounding the Gardaí is not even the damage done to their reputation. Which is in uh, Completely gone. It's the damage that's actually been done to on-the-ground individual people is that everyone has heard crazy stories about, you know, oh, the Gardaí are coming after me and they're doing this, that, and the other, and they're just completely, you know, after me for, you know, I don't know, saying something about their wife 50 years ago or something. Right. The problem is with all of this stuff coming out is that it validates a lot of those stories well it sounds true because yeah that's exactly the problem is yeah. that now no longer is the thing of ah oh, jesus joe down the pub is still going on about the guardia or they're yeah. following him when he goes home from the pub at night now you're going well, they probably are they probably are yeah, I mean, yeah exactly. they're doing all sorts of crazy stuff so yeah there there is a limit isn't there there was a there was a phrase for this that I, I'm, I'm searching for and i can't think of it just off the top of my head which is that when you have a certain amount of scandal with one agency or organization, after a while, all of the wild allegations just start being viewed as true because it just fits within the rubric of, well, if they must be doing this. Or, or it's plausibly that they are doing it. Well, it's the thing of... Uh, I mean, you can believe that the Gardaí are, you know, always doing this kind of stuff, but everyone always knows, ah, sure, the Gardaí will do one or two things here and there. But overall, I mean, they're doing the best they can. The few good guards excuse but, that's been trotted out for 20 years. The, the problem, it seems more and more, is that the basket is full of wax apples. Yeah. 
you know, they're made up apples, yeah. you know. Oh, just to be clear as well, for some of our um, non-Irish listeners, w- w- one of the scandals I was referencing was that the guards have this most, this is the latest in a series of scandals, <laughs> I'll have to preface this, is that the police in Ireland manipulated and created a number of traffic offences records to do with drink driving. When you're pulled over in Ireland for drink driving, you've got to pull into the shoulder, usually on the road. The test is administrator. You blow into a machine. That is then registered somewhere, and then it all goes into this pulse system. This is the basics from what I understand. I don't drive, but I've spoken to drivers, and they've told me what's (laughs) happened. What it seems like the guards were doing was they were just inputting that they had done these things. And... This is not like three or four bad apples somewhere in a management somewhere. This is like on the ground guards. So if there's nine, if there's between 900,000 and 1.1 million records manipulated, then that is potentially, I don't know, four and a half thousand people involved. Well, just as five questions that would occur to any person immediately about this. One... How much of these various um, alcohol legislation, which has been influenced by these drink driving laws, is now somewhat suspect? Yeah. Um, two, what were the Gardaí actually doing? Were they just sitting on the side of the road, perhaps having a few cans themselves? <laughs> Who knows? Um, three, if they were manipulating that data... What other data have you manipulated? Well, there was a small report uh, during the week that there are issues with the homicide figures. Well, that's really not good. Yeah, that's really bad. Um, four, who were the Gardaí? Was anyone in the Gardaí aware of this in upper management? Obviously, they must have been to some degree. Yeah. In which case, was this coming from the top down or the bottom up? I've heard two theories about it. One is that uh, due to the issues with Garda pay that you could get overtime. So a lot of the a lot of so the theory this was said yes. to me I, I don't know if this is true but what was said to me as a possible reason for this massive unprecedented number just to be clear one million people live in Dublin so if you had nine hundred thousand traffic offences at this level that would be like administering a breathalyzer test to every man woman and child in Dublin yeah that's what we're talking about which is just a ridiculous number and so. One of the theories was that this was a way for guards to claim extra overtime was to generate these just inflated figures. Now, that actually could be true. I don't know. But if it is true, then you, as you know, Jack was talking about, that means you can't trust any data that they've done. Well, and since 2011, it has been known from the CSO, if you ask them for certain crime data, they will always sort of put the caveat on it, which is like, we haven't really been able to verify all this. <laughs> So for the last six years, the CSO has been kind of nervous, and the CSO is the Central Statistics Office. It's one of the best state agencies we have. It's actually completely uncorrupt compared to other ones. They it just has a, have numbers. They have a sterling track record. They are very well respected, and most people don't know who they are, but don't have a problem with them if they do know who they are. But when they are saying to you, like, yeah, we have some issues with the data they're giving us, it's much wider than that. Because, as Jack said, legislation is passed when civil servants get data and then go to a minister, kind of in a, you know, Sir Humphrey types, and go over and say, well, we have this huge problem, here's all the data from the guards, we need to pass this new law. Does that mean that in the last five years, or even widen it out, since the introduction of Pulse in 2005, that we have had 
12 years of faulty data, which has probably affected thousands of people's lives and God knows how many criminal offenses. But here's now the really big one in terms of politics. Aside from the obvious thing that now, what the hell do we do with the police and what the hell are they doing being probably the central question for anyone trying to run for office now. Yep. The bigger question is, for people involved in politics, so arrests, protest activities, um, shell to sea being a big ongoing one, what did the Guardian lie about there? Because, well, we know they already did some pretty dodgy stuff in a lot of these situations. Yeah, they were not But good. now any allegations, I mean, the water protests, there were plenty of allegations, so what was true and what was not? Are we, I mean, I, I, I felt for a while that we're now in a situation where the guards are just no longer operable. And by that, I mean, they can't function as an agency due to the fact that they have potentially, I don't know this, this I'm not making an allegation against them. I want to be clear in case someone wants to sue me. I'm not al alleging that they've done this. Well, they could get you for drink driving. Oh, yeah, well, <laughs> oh, yeah, well that would be fun. Me who doesn't drink or drive. Um, but... The potential problem, apart from the obvious stuff, like they broke the law and manipulated facts. And scammed the government. Yeah, those are all big problems. But here's a more existential one. Yeah. If your police force has used its authority to, man to put people in prison, potentially in the last... Let's just take the last 12 years. So, I don't know how many thousand people go through the prison system, but let's just say it's 5,000. Probably a lot more, yeah. but let's just say 5,000. So 5,000 a year for the last 12 years have gone through the prison system. If even half of those are suspect, it will, it will result in the largest overturning en masse of criminal convictions in the history of the state. It will also involve a massive compensation system that will have, we'll have to pay these people because we, we've put them in prison based on faulty or shitty evidence. Well, there's a the other thing, of course, is that the courts then are going to have to basically say that when Garda evidence is put in courts, do we trust it? Can we trust it? Can we actually put someone in jail on the basis of the evidence? If you fundamentally cannot trust your police force, then they have to be removed. Well, and how a, the hell do we do it? But there's, a, that? there's a, even more um, worrying is that... So... The, the government already had an issue of being shown to be weak on the water charges and having to back down. Sure. Now, this, aside from being a great victory for, I'm not even going to try to say their name because they have too many acronyms, um, the solidarity groups, um, this is a huge loss for the government in terms of trying to introduce many things they want to introduce, such as increasing license fees, where they wanted to hire independent goons, essentially, to basically we're going really to talk about fees. the broadcast tax later. Um, but three, they are also talking about changing the points system for driving offences. Yep. So people would be more likely to lose their license. Yep. Which, of course, entirely is under Garda purview. Yep. And the Garda have been lying about this for apparently 12 years. We don't since, know. Yeah. Well, as long as we've had the points system now, it occurs to me, really. It's a long time, yeah. So how the hell is the government supposed to support this legislation to be harsher with the laws when their police force is breaking the law. Yeah. And the police force has to obviously enforce this law. Yeah. Well, I'm basically, so, yeah, basically we're in a situation where who watches the watchers? 
Nobody. Apparently the CSO. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, our statistics agency. But like, okay, so last year, the guards nearly went on strike, which is illegal and unconstitutional for bloody obvious reasons. Mm. If you're a police force, go on strike, then it's like a free-for-all. Yeah, it was going to be, you know, like the National Yolks Day when they yeah. accidentally legalized yeah. all drugs. Yeah, well, that was, thank you, Supreme Court. <laughs> that was a very funny day. Uh, actually, not much happened, but no. yeah, it did happen. Um, when that was going on, the entire political discourse was sort of expecting that there was a little man in the Department of Justice who had a plan. They didn't have a plan. The government basically said, we don't have a plan. We know that the army had a plan mm. because their job is to defend well, the state. Didn't the army actually state that we'd be willing to step in in this situation? No, they, they pretty much said, no, the chief of staff was like doorstepped and he yeah. said basically, I have a plan. They wouldn't tell anyone what it was. Fair enough. Yeah, it's a military, you know. But like, it doesn't take a rocket scientist. The plan would be troops on the streets. Yeah. This isn't South America. Nobody really wants troops on the streets. And I would like to point out an important thing to any Irish people listening. In the case of strikes, it is not unprecedented for the army to step in and fill an important role. Hence it happened during the no, during the um, the garbage strikes in Dublin. Oh yes, they did. Yeah, the yeah. army had to come in and clear garbage off the streets. Yeah, they also so, had to drive trucks at one point. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. this is not a completely unheard of possibility. It is couple decades since we've done it but yes yeah, yeah, yeah. but you know this president no, no. yeah but I, I don't think like in other countries having the army have an enforced presence in the public sphere um such as a lot mm. of south american countries when the cops because the cops do go on strike in south american countries the army yes. will step in and sort of do perform that function nobody here is kind of prepared for that and the army don't function on the same rules as the guards do you couldn't tell an army officer to go fuck himself on a Friday night, yeah. if you had a few cans, that wouldn't go down well for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, they have a very strict disciplinary system. It's the army. Yes. Now, I, like, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. Like, obviously, they're the but army. But there's a reason you have your army and police force separate. Separate, yeah, exactly. The army have a very specific function, and they do it very well. And I'm not, I don't have a problem with them. I mean, I think they're, they do a great job on, with not enough money. We can go on to but that in a second. But the thing that, is, the fact that they were expected without any plan to somehow control all policing in the country just shows you how much of a disaster this is. But on top of that, just on the tourism thing, could you imagine coming to Ireland and discovering that, uh, yeah, we just have a lot of military on the streets right now because our police force is kind of not working. But, it doesn't bode well. It doesn't bode well. But there is... I would like not to entirely defend the Gardaí, but to point out an alternate problem to the Gardaí fudging these numbers. If the Gardaí were indeed fudging these numbers for overtime, and the strike was over pay conditions and pay, work conditions, yeah, it was. then there's an issue of... This is not solely the Gardaí having an issue. This is many Irish institutions having issues over being expected to do significantly more work for what is now much less pay than they were originally on. Sure. Now, the issue then becomes, how the hell do you have a government that is not paying people so little that they're now fudging the numbers, and what other institutions have been doing this? What other issues are lying in wait for this government that we're going to discover that any number, perhaps we will discover that many um, leaving certs were just half-assed marked because they weren't getting enough pay. They were just having to rush through it because they had other responsibilities. And that is an even bigger issue for this government because 
now it becomes a fight between the government and the Gardaí on who's to blame. Mm. Now, obviously, both are to blame to some degree. Sure. But there is a significant discussion to be had there on who's going to come out okay. Because now, then you have a worry of if the Gardaí obviously want to protect themselves, they kind of got to put it on the government, which is not what the Gardaí should do. If the government wants to protect themselves, they kind of got to put it on the Gardaí, which could become very difficult as time goes on. How do you work as a government if you're... Gardaí are not considered functional by the public, and you also don't consider them functional, but they are the entire backbone of many different enforcements. Well, what's going to have to happen if that continues is it's... We've seen it across the border. They built the PSNI. They (laughs) demolished the RUC and they built the PSNI. And if we have to do that here, so be it. But there's going to be a lot of blood on the floor doing that. That's going to be a real bloodbath. Like, oh, a lot of people are, are going to hate that. Their guards are going to go mental. And, you know, there will be, like, a frenzy of leaks out of these people. That's the other thing. A couple of guards are being investigated for breaching people's state of protection rights, privacy laws, by just leaking indiscriminately. Paul Williams is, like, plugged in to, like, senior guards who just randomly ring him up and give him information that is privileged and that is illegal, what they're doing. And they deserve jail time. Nice long sentences for that. You cannot do that. You cannot use the power that you have to go after citizens. But to sum up the the issues here with the Gardaí, one, they've been falsifying data, possibly because they were not paid enough to do their jobs, possibly because, well, they were just acting in a criminal manner. You've got senior Gardaí leaking, like, just... Constantly. Uh, I have no, no, there's no actual comparison I can think of in Irish history of just the complete disregard for their duty in that situation. And the law. Um, which also indicates that this isn't just a problem with Gardaí on the ground. This seems that senior leadership is also completely and utterly uh, incompetent. Yeah. Or possibly criminally competent. Bent, I think, is more um, likely. And you also have, at the same time that these senior Gardaí are leaking, they also had the recent scandal of going after a rank-and-file Gardaí who was leaking things that he should have been leaking, um, such as, obviously, Garda incompetence at this point in time, who they tried to slander by getting other organizations to... Re- Claim that he was a pedophile. Yeah. So, we have a Garda who's not only leaking, they're also going after other leakers and trying to implicate them as a criminal. They're also just making up statistics in order to claim more money off the government. And the government may have been supposed to be paying them more money to actually run a decent police force. What the hell do you do with an organization with that many problems coming to light in a two, three month period? Yep. And the worst part is that it was all known before. Yeah. That's that that's the real part that pisses me off is that I have always been deeply distrustful of this institution since I've been an adult and learned more about them because they have always been opaque, self-censoring and a complete enigma, really, on how they functioned internally. And you meet nice guards, right? You do meet nice ones. But it is the exception. Well, <laughs> and a few good that. apples don't save the spoiled bunch. Yeah, and, and like you do deal with them. You don't tend to deal with them in a good way. Because community policing pretty much got defunded. And that was a huge problem that has nothing to do with the guards. The government made that decision, yes. right? I mean, that that is on the government. But the thing is... 
that we have this agency that is just dysfunctional and dangerous. That's the bit that is never stressed enough. The danger to the stability of the state yeah. is huge. The potential financial consequences to the state. If they have put people in prison due to evidence that is illegal or falsified or whatever the hell they did, and if it's on a huge scale, then someone's going to have to pay for that. And it's going to be Joe and Jill taxpayer. Yes. And if we thought that the child sex stuff cost a, a boatload of money, this could be twice, three times that. But on top of that, there's, going back to one of the original issues, is that I've got uh, friends and everyone's heard stories of Gardy really overstepping the boundaries of what they should do. And... While I wouldn't dismiss them, I wouldn't pay them particular heed. Well, now, I would categorically believe them. There's no reason for me not to believe these allegations. And so, how the hell do you... There is no trust. Yeah, how do you, but how do you even live in a state like that? Is there... Like, now there would be valid concerns of people, well, should I report this crime? Because, I mean... That's, yeah, that's what I meant by dangerous. Yeah. If you, if you don't trust the agency to the point where you will not report stuff because either you think that they will do it wrong or you're so pissed off with them and you just don't trust them at all to do it. That's even more dangerous because that means that, like, you know, your house gets broken into, you have to go to the guards because of insurance reasons, which is probably the only reason we have robbery statistics, yeah. really, because I don't think anyone goes to them to get it fixed. Because, <laughs> I mean, I mean, like, I know myself, go, you know, friends would go to the guards, you go with them down to the station, they send me while it was robbed or whatever. And the guards are like, yeah, you're going to have to just write that off. Ah, uh, I'm sorry about that. Sorry That's about terrible. that. terrible. Sorry, but not me yeah. can do. And you're kind of well, like... I've even had friends get their heads absolutely kicked in, and the guard go, ah, Jesus. Sorry. Yeah. But the, the question of data and... The governments rely on coherent data streams, right? I mean, if you're a minister, basically what happens is data is brought to you within your purview, and then you make decisions and pass laws and ministerial orders based on the facts that you have in front of you. Sometimes it's based on ideological decisions, such as Leo Varadkar's recent I Hate Poor People campaign that I saw in Pierce Street, and I'll come back to that in a second. But oftentimes it's based on this is the data that my civil servants have brought me, and I'm going to try to implement that if for the good of the whatever. If you have a situation where multiple agencies that are plugged into the guards, of which there's quite a few, don't tr are, are also caught up in the contagion of this, we have a huge problem then. Because then, does every agency that links to them at a direct point, are they also bent? Yeah. Is their data also distrustworthy? Well, I mean, it's a significant issue because there's a lot of crime stats now that uh, you would have generally just believed. Now you're going, well, if they're making up homicide statistics, now, of course, it's an allegation. Not, well, they didn't make them up. Yeah. It's something, something about the way that they classified them. The way they classified them. But even then, that's still a major that's issue. That's dangerous, too. Um, then what other things were they misclassifying? Yeah, I mean, I would... If they're doing it on the traffic offences, which is the thing they got caught for, and Noreen O'Sullivan's statement to the doll was telling because obviously a lawyer went over her mm. phrasing with her. And she said, she could, she didn't categorically deny that there was other stuff. So if you don't categorically deny it in front of a doll <laughs> committee, where you're, you know, you're under an oath of some sort, that means that basically they, can, they, don't, know what, they don't know what they don't know. 
Yeah. So that means there could be a hell of a lot of shit hanging out there. Well, this, this the most is... obvious one after traffic offenses are assaults. Uh, oh God, definitely assaults. Because they're can... the largest category I, after that, I, minor I mean, to major. I, assaults, robberies, um, petty crime. Yeah, it's it is it's a bizarre case of the right hand not knowing what the right hand is doing. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, but there's not much else to go over yet. So uh, should we move on to a bit of a lateral move and we'll go on to the um, ever-popular license fee? Oh, God. Okay. So again, for the (laughs) non-Irish listeners, Ireland has a very unusual thing we created in this country. It's known as the TV license. Now, I think the Brits did a version of this for a long time. Yeah. I don't know if they still do it. Uh, they, they, they do for the BBC, but I, I would like to give a little extra context to the TV licence and why it is so really disliked in Ireland. When RT was first formed, the TV licence was so the fledgling station could get off the ground. It was also for infrastructure, yeah. to build physical lines. And everyone was completely, that's completely reasonable. Then it was extended for 10 years. You were going, oh, okay, I guess it takes a bit longer to make a TV station. And then it's now just there. But right. it, it still has to be extended. Yes. So so what, what we have is it's a, it's a charge. It's a license fee. So it's yeah. a charging thing. It's not, you can't claim it on, on your taxes. On owning a TV. Yeah. Right. So you, if you own a television, a man from the postal service... Which turns, the post office hates that they yeah, have to do. A it. man from the postal service will turn up at your house and ask you to com- ask, can he come in to inspect your premises to see if you have a television. It is a bizarre invasion of privacy that I have resisted a couple of times, uh, particularly when I was in Galway because they sent very unpleasant people to your house. And it basically you have to pay them this 160 a year to own a television. I don't own a television, so I've never paid it, and I've told them in no uncertain terms that I'm never going to own a television. Yeah. Now, the thing about the, the, the history of this charge is, is long and convoluted. Uh, basically, it, it is not a permanent tax. It is one of these things that's auto-renewed by the government of the day, because it's a handy revenue mechanism. It used to always go to RT. Now it goes to a new agency, or a nice quango, known as the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. And, and mostly goes to RT. Yeah, and the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland gives out grants. And these grants predominantly, surprise, surprise, go to RTE. I would also like to point out, unlike the English and British charge, where you get the BBC, which has almost no ads at all except for BBC programming... RTE still has a lot of ad time and some very ridiculously well-paid hosts. Huge. Yeah. So what we have is a couple of years ago in the last government, so the Fine Gael Labour government, Pat Rabbit, who is a traitor to the labour movement and a whole <laughs> bunch of other things, decided that RTE needed a bit more money. That they just weren't doing... Also, because by the way, most people hate this tax and refuse to pay it. So there's like a massive non-compliance rate. I think it's like 48% or something. Aside from it going up from people getting, you know, uh, what I got, uh, cutting the cable. um, So they're just using their computers to access media. There's also just generally an upsurge in people not paying it. Because, again, the government looked weak on the water charge. So no one's going to do it. So, screw you. So in the last government, there was proposed by some bright spark... Now, what we should do is we should make it a broadcast charge. You know, I could just imagine Pat Rabbit saying it. And what it was going to do is it was going to be on all devices that could access the internet, which, as of this moment in 2017, includes your watch, depending (laughs) on what you buy, which means that you would have to pay a tax to the Irish government for owning a fucking watch. Well, see, they fixed that. Now their proposal, I think, is on screens over nine inches. 
Yes, I, yeah. love, I love the emphasis on inches. Mm-hmm. But um, they also... This would usually have gone past my radar because they propose this frequently enough and I honestly believe what if they try to push it through will be a disaster because you run into then problems of... Triple taxation. Well, not even that. Here's a simple one for you. University students. What are most university students going to have? A laptop. Very few laptops with less than a 9-inch screen nowadays. And... Uh, where do they live? Student housing, which don't have TVs a lot of the time, some do. Which means, now how is this being paid? Are you paying, you know, Who is pays the student the paying? Is each individual student paying? Uh, how are you div- dividing up that housing? But regardless of that, there's a more fun issue. of she proposed that, you know, they really weren't getting enough revenue and perhaps the license fee should be doubled to 320 euros. And, of course, extended in such a way that every household would have to pay, regardless of if they ever watched RTE. Now, the reasoning for this is very simple. Sure, you might not have a TV, but they do have the RTE player, and you could be accessing that. Which, of course, any rational person who doesn't watch RTE would go, well, just prevent people, like, gave a code. Go to And then, if I pay the license fee, I get my account, happy out, I'll watch RTE player. I don't want to watch your TV player. Just the fact that I could is not a reason for me to pay. I could also just go to someone else's house and watch RTE if I really wanted. Well, the other thing, of course, is that RTE, I think, at the high points of the year, maybe has a million people tune in. Yeah. That's that's iffy on how they calculate that data because they definitely, they're terrible for fecking around with their broadcast use. Let's just give them the million figure, yeah. right? That's one in four citizens. That means three out of four want nothing to fucking do with them. Well, I mean... If, the like, right? That's the other way. 75% don't watch it. Just, just an aside note to non-Irish people. We have the Late Late Show, right? It is Ireland's... And one of the longest-running talk shows, if not the longest in the world, I think. I think it is now um, the longest-running talk show. It's hosted by an idiot um, who brings on largely anyone who's off the street. Sometimes, yes, he will get famous people like Justin Bieber or... Uh, and he, he also shames the country when he speaks to these people. Yes. And he brings on politicians occasionally to give them the softball. Yeah. And, uh, Except if you're Sinn Féin. Yeah. And occasionally he will just bring on, and here's Mary... And she saw a lovely cow. Yeah, um, yeah, that's mental stuff. And it's not... It would have been a well-watched program once upon a time. It's not anymore. Uh, I don't think I have seen it in years, except briefly when passing through the front room when I'm at home with my parents, and they will have it on and I will then leave the room because I've avoided seeing it for years when I... Yeah, I don't know, I'm it. not home. So I don't know. But... That's the quality service that we're getting. Uh, with ads. Loads of them. And with not a lot of... They don't, like... There's not a lot of great Irish programming coming out of it either. Yeah, not- most, most of the content... So the, so most American listeners will get this. Most of the content is imported from American markets. Yeah. Very little original program that's funded. We do... We have two soap operas, one per channel, I think. And so there's... a. There's things like that, but there's nothing major in terms of new dramatic programming. There's every so often they do one show. The what that show Love Hate was sort of uh, popular for a while. I've actually never seen it. I don't care to see it, so I have nothing really to say about it. But um, so we're talking about an agency that is a state broadcaster 
kind of in a more Soviet style. This is not <laughs> PBS. So for the American listeners, PBS, you guys know what that is. I don't need to go into that. For the Irish listeners, PBS is a state, is like a public access broadcasting. So it's not like the state. It's funded with like public grants and a lot of donations. And it's like ad-free advertising Sesame Street's on that. It's good programming that's not going to rot your brain. RTE is like Kazakhstani state media. Well, I mean... I wouldn't necessarily go that far. I, I presume Kazakhstan at least produces plenty of programming in... On the least, leader. On the dear leader, yes. yes, of course. And the rotating statue. Um, I mean, to me, it's more the problem of... RTE is not a service anyone would choose to pay for. No. Now, obviously, that is not how you, you... Most countries choose to have a national broadcaster of some form or another. Uh, especially if they're small countries. Sure. Just, it's difficult to sustain... Broadcasting. Although that is that the, is a quirk of the 20th century, and we are in a different one now. But the, the, the issue particularly for Ireland comes in in that Orti is seen as, one, incredibly elitist. Uh, two, the big defense for why they pay so well to a lot of their stars, and it, we are talking huge amounts of money, is because if they don't, they're so good, the BBC will snap them up. Now, I would like to point out at this point, Graham Norton, Irish, we yeah. still lost him. Daryl Breen, he had a show on RTE. He did. Still lost him. Stopped making that show. Um, So, obviously, we're still bleeding out great talent to the UK from RTE. Yeah. So, and most of our comedians gone to the UK. Yeah. So, why are we paying so much money if we're still losing people? Because we're only paying money to specific people. But also, the, the whole point of public broadcasting is that you don't make money doing it. Yes. And there's no great loss, I mean... Like, look, the GA, even though it's not something I play, is based on the idea... GAA, again, for the non-Irish listeners, is the Gaelic Athletic Association. It is the National Sports uh, Association for the country. And they work... All their players don't get paid. Mm. It's, it's a voluntary, non-paid organization. It is a actual shining example for other countries like yes. the UK to get their shit together and stop paying these people millions of dollars. Uh, it's very impressive. It's actually. very, very impressive. Even though I don't play the sports and I don't watch it, I'm deeply impressed in the fact that they've managed to keep that. They're also fantastic for the communities because it yeah. means that you know your local GAA player isn't some mythical guy and you, you're never going to see. He's literally probably down the road running a plumbing business. Yeah, it's, it's very local. It works. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Now, the thing is, I'm not saying community radio is the exact same as like athletics, right? It's not. But at the same point, having a broadcast media that is more relatable to like normal human beings is yeah. a good thing. And not paying them. At one point, at its height, RTE salaries paid more than the President of the United States. Yeah. That just tells you how out of touch and maniacal these people are. They, they broadcast basically at the wealthiest suburb in the entire country, and they broadcast to a very small group of people. And I would like to point out very importantly here, we're paying a license fee, much like BBC, but we're still getting ads. So they're getting ad revenue. They're getting the license fee. They're paying huge amounts of money to a star who is not going to jump over to the UK and be massively popular. And even if he is, there's plenty of other Irish people who could do a pretty good job too. And by the way, they would not pay him that money. Yes. Oh God, no, they wouldn't. They never would. Um, Why would they? But two, why is a public broadcaster playing these incredibly uh, good amounts of money? Because you pay the stars in other countries and in other organizations high amounts of money, so they stay because they get you an ad revenue. 
Ortiz already guaranteed revenue from the TV license. Yeah. Why are they competing? Who are they competing for? It's Ireland. It's a small market. We only have TV3 and TG Carr as competition to RTE. And TG Carr is connected anyway. Yeah. TG Carr is for the Irish language. Yeah. TV3 is independent. So who are they competing with? Nobody. They have the Irish market. Yeah. Why is they getting these massive pay? Um, and it, again, I doubt this will go anywhere because Fine Gael would just be inviting another embarrassing loss. No, but the problem is... is that, that they think... No, no. The, the Minister for Communications is a guy called Dennis Nocton. Yes. Dennis Nocton is from Roscommon. Yes. That's that, that's just... A, I'm not saying it. that's a problem, okay? I'm from the, like, the way he looked at me there. He's from my neighbouring county. I'm not, I'm not knocking him for being from Roscommon, mm. right? Um, Dennis Nocton, most people didn't probably know who he was. He was recently hit by a bus. Oh, I forgot about yeah. that. Yes. <laughs> it was a terrible when minister hit by bus. He survived. He's totally fine. But Dennis Nocton is the guy pushing this. So I'm pissed at Dennis. Yeah. And... Although then again, the guy before Sherlock was... Oh, no, Sherlock was the digital stuff. Yeah, the soap. He was also yeah. an idiot. It was a gobshite. Uh. Um, but Dennis talked about doing it through a ministerial order. Yes. Now, I don't know if that's legal. I actually think it's illegal because I think you can't generate new revenue without passing a law. Like, you can't raise taxes but, without putting it in the budget, or at the very least, a supplementary appropriation. I, I, I was about to say we should move on, but I also forgot the, the true killer to all this that really makes it seem utterly insane and Kazakhstani. He also wanted to get a private company to take over oh, gathering yes, the license fee. Oh, yes, I forgot about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Now, look, the post office does the license fee for a very simple reason. For a lot of Ireland and a lot of its history, the post office... Everyone can get to a post office. It was necessary. And that's why it also does a lot of social welfare payments. Um, it's also bizarrely in the phone business now. For most people, it is the physical embodiment of the state that's up the road. From it you. is. It always has been the yeah. core of the state. Yeah. So it got that job back in the day. Because they also did telephones and other things. This is in the 1960s, but, by the way, just to say that. So they've been stuck with this license fee thing. But people are relatively okay with a guy who's kind of working for the state coming to their door. They don't like it. I dislike that they insist on seeing every room, yeah. but regardless, I can live with it. If they send a private company, Goon, and it would be a private company and a Goon because they're hired to literally get me to pay money. It's debt collectors. They're get, yeah, they're, I'd be getting better a better service off a debt collector because at least they would give me a call before they turned up at the door expecting to come in. Yeah. And they're expecting me to just let this guy Goon. working for a private company into my house, who's insisting on money to inspect my devices to pay him. Mm -hmm. Why in God's name would anyone in Ireland like that in any way? Of course, no one's going to like it. More correctly, why wouldn't anyone in Ireland just take a hurley to them? Yeah. Get off my property. You work for a private company and I don't give you permission. And by the way, the, when, when they tried this with the water thing by privatizing the enforcement... They did take early stuff. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, rambunctious responses to that. Uh, my favorite one being, and just to give you an idea of the kind of uh, thinking that a lot of Irish people have to get around these things, um, a lot of people took to cementing um, parts of their property so they couldn't actually install water meters. Yeah, um, yeah, they blocked drains like with cement. Like yeah. people were like pretty much willing to cut off their nose despite their face just to yeah. do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know where it's gone yet. 
this 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 new tax so for our listeners like do be freaked out but it's not happened yet but definitely get on the blower to so, your member you do this is one of those moments where you have to get on the blower to the member so, so Jack considering it's a Fianna Gael government this could be a suggestion for them to replace the police force <laughs> TV license inspectors well yeah yeah great <laughs> they idea. do like private partnerships but like if you don't want this to happen, and I don't think anyone listening no. really wants this to happen, because by the way, they, they've just they've come up with this theory where basically anybody who has a laptop has to pay this charge. Anybody who's got a desktop computer and a monitor has to pay this charge, uh, which is, by the way, a triple taxation. So if you don't want it to happen, ring your local member and make sure that it doesn't happen. Yeah. Because politicians only do stuff when they think it's an existential threat to re-election. And, and get... on the subject of re-election, okay. what a terrible transition, we are now going to go talk about the next couple of elections that are coming our way. From what I can see, what we have is um, the British general election, yep. and then our own belated second general election. Yeah, you know. uh, as well as the Fine Gael leadership campaign, which oh, is tied God. into that. Um, I don't think we particularly need... To talk about the French election as it's undecided at this point, yeah, and not particularly relevant to us, no. And uh, yeah, so let's start with the UK thing. Yeah. So there's been this funny thing that's happened recently where people are mad at pollsters for the results the polls have been giving, and people keep blaming pollsters for bad results. It's weird. Um, pollsters ring humans who are also members of like you know the general public who vote so yes. I don't know what you're mad at them for but anyway so there's been this narrative that Trump and Brexit are linked which is stupid because they're not and I'll go into why yes this is so, the theory of yeah. the right wing contagion was going to spread across the yeah, world yeah the whole world's on fire um, so the first thing is that Trump and Brexit are linked they're not Brexit which is a stupid name comes out of the last referendum they had in the 1970s, that small minority that were very pissed off, that did not want to be in the EU, that were aided by R Rupert Murdoch and a massive right-wing press. They've been that, there from the beginning. From the beginning. And they literally just got a bare majority to get it over the line. In the polling on the run-up to Brexit, it was a 51-49 proposition, yeah. which is within the 3% margin of error which all polls come with. It a was a toss-up. It was a toss-up and it went one way instead of the other way. That does not mean, just because all the polls told you that 52% of the country are well, going to go one way, that doesn't mean I, anything. I'm going to go on a little bit of a, not a rant, but an explanation here. Right. Polling companies are made of people and people make mistakes. Now, this is a problem for polling companies for a number of reasons. One, uh, they occasionally, in their attempt to get questions entirely right without any bias, come up with questions that people's brains just don't process because they just want to finish the poll and get out of there. Uh, well, by out of there, I mean off the phone off or out, the of phone. The, out, out the street or whatever. But two, they're dealing with people. And people just answer things. They don't necessarily put thought into them. If you asked me one day, you know, do you think Ireland should, you know, join a force to invade Namibia? I might go, oh, sure, why not? We may as well use the military. Yeah. And the other day I might go, what the hell are you talking about? I'm actually thinking about this today rather than yeah. just trying to get down the street. Exactly, yeah. Um, the third final big problem is this. We poll too much and we poll uh, and we put too much stock in them. Mm. Polls are good indicators. 
right? Polls traditionally were generally trying to take the pulse a bit and find out had things changed massively. So uh, a good example in Ireland would be back in 2007-2008, was a big poll done uh, about gay marriage. It was the first poll that showed that Ireland was probably in favour, and trotted around for a long time. But here's the thing, they didn't poll all the time on that. They didn't poll on the, all, the, all the time on that because polls are finicky. Polls just give you an indication. If you get a 59-51 you know, poll, that could have just been an accident, margin of error, because the smallest thing in a day can be a massive swing. Also, polling companies don't all use the same questions. And the wording of questions really determines how you're going to answer it. So I was just looking at the most recent Ipsos poll that came out in March. It has the most leading questions you could ever think of, really. Well, see, it's not even necessarily that they're leading. It's that their phrasing doesn't actually tell you what the people meant. Yeah. Um, Which that is it's a much bigger issue. What? Well, it's, it's it's leading in the sense it's trying to get an answer that they want, but yeah. the key thing being is a, a big one. They also editorialise in the question. Well, a, a, a good example was the on the Gardaí trustworthiness. Yeah, whereas, this was uh, polled in March Was 2nd. your trust affected by the Gardaí scandals? Was it unaffected or do you not know yeah. or unchanged? So the problem is, is that if I say, yes, it affected because I thought the Gardaí were standing bastions of society... Or, yes, it affected my opinion. I thought they were shit. They're now a lot worse than I thought. Yeah, it doesn't... Or I could answer, no, the Gardaí are still worthy of trust. Or, no, I always knew the Gardaí were a bunch of corrupt idiots. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can answer it both ways. Yeah. And both ways are meaningless because of that. Yeah. Because the question was phrased badly. Yeah. I mean, same with the questions on the leadership. This is for Leo, right? So there's been a lot of talk on the on the Irish Times in particular. There are a couple of people in the Irish Times who really have a little candle in the wind for Leo. Leo has definitely captured the Dublin Six voting margin where yes. these people live. I wonder journalists would fall into the ABA categories. I, I would wonder. say quite a few of them. <laughs> and ABA, just what Jack's referring to, is the wealthiest quotient of the country. Yeah. Um, quartile of the country. And so... He gets great press for doing nothing. He's been a minister for a while. We were talking about this earlier. He's been a minister in a couple of different departments. Every single ministry he's held has been basically noted for not much activity, fantastic press, and no. that's about it. That's it, really. He says a lot of things and does very little. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, to use the example, since we're on the topic of Radcar and he's not doing much, he's currently in uh, social protection is what they call it now? Yeah. Yeah. But social protection is now what was well, just the social welfare department. They just like coming Changing up. The name. Every few years they like to change it up. I imagine it will be like social innovation at some point. Or, yeah, we'll all be engineered yeah. out of it. But his current uh, strategy for dealing with welfare fraud, which... There doesn't seem to be any great indication that it is a vast problem. Mm-hmm. Um, is that he's taken out a massive ad campaign to encourage people. Uh, actually, funny enough, if you go on welfare.ie, rat, it will bring you to a page to report people for welfare fraud. And by the way, um, Mary Hannafin, when she was in charge of when it was called social welfare, made a huge deal out of welfare fraud too and passed a bunch of laws that gave um, banks... The ability, this is back in 09, banks have had the ability since 2009 to go into your bank account and tell guards what you've been spending. Mm. So the idea that the, like, that 
these departments aren't vigilant about this oh, is ridiculous. Not even that. We now have facial ID cards with a chip in them to identify us when you go to get your social welfare. Yeah. Um, or any kind of welfare at all. I think you just need that card for anything now, really. Yeah, it's, it's been rolled... Rated. No, it's been rolled out uh, as basically a national even, ID. I think you even need it just for child... Child benefit. Yeah. yeah. But the whole lot. On top of this, there's also... Something important that has gone under the conversation here. Who are the most likely people to be committing welfare fraud? Well, if you listen to a lot of people, it would be young lads who are in the pub drinking. Here's the thing. Most young people, I think until you're 27, you're getting a fraction of the rate, right? If you're under 24, it is a ludicrously small amount of money, so you have to live at home. It's like a less than 100 a week. Yes, about 96. It might have gone up to 100 a week or something. No, recently. they were exempted oh, from all, yes. the, all, the, all the rises. So at 96 euro a week, you get you enter a sort of a problem where you're going, per- perhaps you've really reduced welfare so much and the job situation in a lot of these small towns and villages is so shit. Well, they're getting a couple of bucks maybe working in the pub. Now, that's not good, obviously, and is technically a fraud. Is it technically, it just straight up is fraud. But... Part of the problem with this is, is that at 96 euro a week, you can't travel to go to an interview. No. You know, you've also got small businesses who can't really afford to hire you for more than... And so you end up in the situation where even people who are getting part-time work don't get enough work to actually get off the welfare system fully. The other thing, of course, is, and this is just the broader point, is we don't actually have that many people on social welfare compared to what we used to have. No, it's tiny. It's like... 6%? 6%? 6%? Now. So it's 6%. It was... We, we were here when it was like 15, 16%. Yes. That's, when the, that's when the fraud... Not that it ever makes sense, but that's when that fraud stuff really kicks in, right? When you go, God, it's got this huge number. But 6% is low. Well, it's 2% above like what you would always expect a society to have yeah, is because about 4%. Four, because, yeah, 4% means basically full employment. Yeah. So this is not about fraud. This is about Leo being able to strut in wealthy communities and say that he's put the boot to poor people and immigrants and people who are, quote unquote, the undesirables in society, of which he has been caught on tape a few times saying Thatcherite shit like this before. So this is a guy who's got deeply far right views on the country. He's got deeply far right views about the society. And he is using his position as a minister of, of the state to spend public money to basically boost his far-right credentials with a very narrow sliver of the electorate who are hopefully going to put him in as Il Duce in charge of Fine Gael. Yes. Uh, like, the big problem I see, though, with the, the, the campaign as a whole, right, is that I want numbers. I want numbers on how many people did you catch... How much money did this cost? And you know that they they had, they actually had to change. They came out with some estimate of. Um, it was ludicrous number. No, he just made it up. Yes. He just made up some number, and then like the officials, you know, the Sir Humphreys came out yes. and were like, "God, oh, no, that's not right. That's not right. That's not right." So we actually don't know what the number is. Yeah. And of course, going back to our discussion of the cops and their manipulation of oh, data. Yes. The agent, <laughs> the second most likely agency to lie about figures is the Department of Social Protection. Uh, a good example of this is there was a major problem for a long time during the recession years where they kept cutting the numbers by putting people into education programs. So people would do an education program, so they'd be off the technically off the register, then they'd go 
back on the register and put into another education program. Never managing to actually get a job out of any of these education programs, by the way, because in many places, especially, funnily enough, rural areas where it's kind of difficult to get a job when you're on 96 euro a week. And when the economy is collapsed. Uh, yeah, that was a small factor. Um, the problem became is that a lot of these guys kept being put onto the same courses. Yep. There were courses that never managed to get so, your job, so such as ECDL. So what you have is you have young guys and young women yeah. being put, trying to do everything right. Let's say they didn't go to college or whatever because they couldn't. They couldn't afford it or they just didn't get that kind of leaving cert. But they go, okay, I'll go down to the job seekers. They're going to put me on a program so that I can go and get a job. Yeah. They want to go, They don't want to sit in the dole. They want to get a job. Yeah. But they're from this area and they want to work in their area. And that's a legitimate thing to want. Yeah. Not everybody has to go to Dublin. And by the way, Dublin has a massive homelessness crisis. So moving to Dublin is not a good idea. No. And you couldn't afford to live here on 96 a week anyway. Not a hope. So basically, it's catch-22. They want to do right. They want to get a job. The educational system, the way that the Dole operates, their sort of training thing is mental and doesn't yeah. work. So again, you have kids who are doing the same course. Yeah. And getting more and more frustrated and disillusioned. Just so the social protection keep the numbers down. Yeah. Um, like, there's so many problems around how social protection does their numbers. Uh, additionally, now, let's, let's be clear here. This is not about individuals inside that department. It's not like they want to do this. The directives no. come from the ministers. Yes. The ministers tell their officials, I want the monthly total to go down so that I can strut in the doll and say that we brought down unemployment. Because there is a section of voters, which is actually remarkably small, that really give a shit about that. Yeah. Now, the problem is that they read right-wing papers and they watch RTE. It's this nice nexus of evil. But th this is something I just want to bring up very quickly. Um, yes, you will see people collecting the doll who obviously have more money than you could have on the doll. These people are typically also just criminals, right? To be completely straight about it. There's not a lot of those on the doll, though. No, but there is a decent section of guys who are, you know, selling, you know, whatever on the side yeah, and yeah, also yeah. collecting the doll, right? So there is an aspect here where... A criminal might be collecting the doll simply because you can't really write on your your application. Uh, what's your what, what was your past? At, oh, I was a I was a drug dealer. Uh, yeah. That's my current occupation. Yeah. Um, also, let's be clear as well. Like there, the the groups of people who are the most likely to deal with the prison system and the cops. Surprise, surprise! Come from areas that are massively socially deprived have been riveted in Dublin and the other no. cities by heroin, so it's no parents, No, nobody around, have the worst schools in the country that nobody puts money into, have the worst teachers, because nobody wants to fucking teach there, have the worst social standards. Every health indicator you can think of is down. Yeah, They, come, they go into prison because they get fired in. The, the judges give them no breaks. They're thrown straight in for the smallest of offences. Mm. They come out... They have criminal records, and nobody's going, nobody's going to employ them. Yeah. And there's no system there to help them not yeah. go back into the prison system. It essentially, like, become that... Uh... And it is cheaper for those guys to go on the dole than to house them in prison. Yes. Not to make it about that, but it's but, true. But that, see, that's how always... we've created a system where a, a segment of society that's getting ever bigger, because as we mm. saw from the recent census, where is the population growth? It's in these areas. It's getting bigger, and this problem's getting out of control. But this also brings into one of the, the, the bigger problems with welfare fraud. 
as a, as a general concept, right? Yeah. It definitely is a thing that exists. But it's a phrase used but, by middle class people to hammer poor people. Yes, uh, there is too. There is a fun thing. If there used to be a lot of stories about uh, traveler welfare fraud, those stories then became about Polish people welfare fraud, now and now those stories are about African, African people welfare, welfare fraud. Yeah, exactly. They're the exact same stories I've been hearing since I was about seven. Yeah. By the way, nothing is. It's changed. the same stories. Yeah. So obviously, they're probably bullshit. Yeah. But on top of that, the problem I always come into is this. Okay, so guy can't get a job or is working a kind of dodgy job and is collecting the dole. Gets cut, so you take him off the dole. Maybe he can't sustain himself in that job. So what does he do? Does he, does he work more dodgy jobs? Which is also technically illegal, by the way. He's getting paid off the books, so that becomes a thing. We're also not going after the small businesses paying people off the books, not being taxes on that, yeah. which is a lot more common than small business owners would like you to believe. Yeah. Um, well, there's a whole section of the economy that's black. It's a, it's a funny thing that I find very odd that he's going after welfare fraud, not, not tax the black fraud economy, at the same exactly. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but we'll, we'll ignore that. So what do you do? Do you, you take him off welfare? Or you can't put him in prison because that's costing you more, and this is to save you money, right? So yeah. you just take him off the dole. Now he's not making enough money. So what, what does he do? He continues working in the black economy, which is still legal, but I guess it's not costing taxpayer money technically. Yeah. Or possibly he can't sustain himself, ends up doing some criminal crap to actually have money to survive. It's Catch-22. It's an ever-decreasing um, kind of cycle. You know, it, it becomes that thing. And how much money have you spent chasing this guy? Exactly. Are you actually saving money? Like, not to make it just about practicalities, but at the end of the day, politics should somewhat have consideration to practicalities and not just ideological things of, yeah, welfare fraud is a bad thing. But there's also a lot of other bad things, like all those bankers that yeah. got away scot-free. Exactly, so, and they cost us a lot more money. Which, important to bear in mind, young people definitely took notice of that, and there is a yeah. lot of resentment over that. The last thing I'll say about this is, it's an issue. We don't know the rate of it, because nobody has ever produced any good figures on it. There are weird estimates that are then contradicted once they come out. It seems clear that it is an issue in certain areas, but it's quite small overall because anyone who's ever had to interact with the social welfare system will tell you that it's about 25 pieces of paper and forms and IDs and signing stuff. So it's actually hard to do this. And yeah. now that the banks actually will surveil your accounts, it's not a, and it can all be done at a click of a button because yeah. it's all linked in at the back end to social welfare. So the idea that somehow you can just randomly do this is just not that technically feasible. Now, what I have just described is probably way beyond Leo Varadkar's ability to grasp, because Leo Varadkar's to grasp. Oh, his ability too. He's yeah. not that bright. Like Leo Varadkar is a very handy blow-up doll for the far right <laughs> in this country, and what he is is he he takes in far right ideas from both America and from the worst parts of far-right nationalism in the EU and the UK. Well, and then he, what he does is he pushes them out with a kind of diddly-eye track three persona. Well, taking off nationalism, returning to the Fine Gael leadership issue, well, isn't that the funny thing about Leo, is that the one thing he can't actually properly take from them is the nationalism. Mm. Again, Pashka's tied up in Sinn Féin, 
but also because well, we got lots of people who really have a strong claim. I mean, kind of hard to champion nationalism in Ireland if you've got Jerry Adams still pottering around. Yeah, Jerry, Jerry, <laughs> Jerry has cornered the nationalism market. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, okay, so let's just talk about the leadership because we talked obliquely about this welfare thing because it pissed both of us off, and uh, also because it it does affect people. Well, it's also going to be a significant issue, and it is important to both the general election and the Fine Gael leadership contest. Well, I mean, their last election was spent attacking people. This one seems like they're gearing up to well, attacking people too. Well, not even that. The problem with this is that this speaks to Fine Gael's current issue. Fine Gael currently has a really big issue in that it is a predominantly rural party that has become a predominantly upper-class Dublin party. And you see this with Vlad Karankovny. Yeah, we looked at the polling uh, on it. It's amazing. It, it the is, differences per area are amazing. There's only two differences in everything. Uh, in these two guys. If you're voting, if you're for Vradkar, you're probably in the ABA category, doing well, and living in Dublin or another urban centre. And if you're voting for Kovny, you're rural, you're and you're probably a farmer. That is the and only you're over difference. 65. Oh, and you're over 65. <laughs> and you're over 65. Which, probably, if you're a farmer, that's a guarantee anyway. Exactly. And the largest group that votes for Fine Gael are over 65s. And that is the big issue that is going to happen, because they're, the party's found itself with this unfortunate nexus of its voting power is coming from two groups that hate each other. Yeah, and, and also it's a very uneasy coalition between um, those two internal groups. And it is, it is a big problem for Vradkar in particular. Um, Fine Gael's campaign was a disaster for the general election last time. Yes. Uh, the the re- recovery is here campaign. The keep, across, the, keep the recovery going. The keep the recovery going campaign across the country. Now, again, there was a recovery and it is continuing to go. In two right, areas. To give them, yes, in two areas. But importantly... If you have a campaign so to keep the recovery going and you put it on the boards of buildings that are still shut down from when the recession hit in small rural areas That's and even really piss people even off. urban areas in outside of Dublin yeah it really hits your message yep and now Vradkar has this campaign about deal with welfare fraud now this campaign is generally a fairly solid conservative campaign to run in any country yeah Oh, it Except is, yeah. for one big problem he's up against. Ireland had so many young people, so many older people, and so many just working class Joes who saw the economy implode and ended up stuck on welfare with no hope for at least half a decade. At least. For many, it was a decade. Yeah. And here's where that problem kicks in. This was not just hitting the young people. This hit across the board too many people who suddenly found themselves in the door with no way out. And while you can say you're going after welfare fraud, the problem is, is that those people also heard that during those years of going after welfare fraud, and they're going, I wish I could commit welfare fraud. That would mean I could find work. Yes. Um, So that's going to seriously hurt Vradkar if he thinks that that's going to aid Fine Gael's chances in an election. And also, it's funny, yeah, you're right, the, the whole strategy is so similar to the keep the recovery going, just in terms of its tin ear. But isn't that kind of the issue with the Varadkar-esque kind of strategy, or that wing of Fine Gael, which is, let's have a focus group, 
have 30 people in a room. Let's ask them what they think. And then we'll basically take those very skewed results because they're going to take them from all the wealthy areas, put them in a room and ask them a bunch of questions. And then they're going to make that policy. And then this huge swathe of the country that is like, well, fuck that, is going to have a reaction. Well, I mean, the problem that with, with Fine Gael is is very simply that they... I don't want to say that they're elitist, because all political parties are kind of elitist, except for, to give credit, Sinn Féin and Solidarity Anti-Austerity Alliance. They're not, yeah. Right? Give them solid credit. Labour became elitist. Fianna Fáil has kind of been a like, weird elitism. They're, of they're, being they're, in Fianna Fáil yeah. itself was yeah. being an elite. It's, it's like second-tier elitism. Yeah. But Fianna Gael is they're top tier definitely elitism. becoming a form, right form of elitism. Yeah. And this has led them to developing a massive lack of understanding about the rest of the country. Just straight like outside of the Dublin. Rest of the country, yeah. They have no concept, it seems, what's going on. And it's funny how like they have people from outside of the country, but it's like they go through a brainwashing machine and don't seem to understand where they came from. But I have to presume it's because, as far as I can tell, the majority, aside from Enda Kenny's absolute like best friends, who are all now gone, of course, because yeah. of... Endless scandals, yeah. again. It's funny how he keeps knocking out his um, mates. But all of the rest of them come from that particular... There's two types of TD. There's the local TD, who's the guy... I'm from Tipperary. So, yeah. I live in Tipperary. I go up to Dublin because I have to vote on things. Yeah. But I'm from Tip. And they're back every weekend. Yeah. yeah. There's the other kind of TD. Yeah. Who they were just dying to go to Dublin. They're parachutes. And... Once they end up in Dublin, they do seem to have a weird... They get into this sort of weird insular zone and sort of lose track of actually what's going on on the ground. So what they do is that... Yeah, because what Jack is talking about is actually the party that's the worst for it is Fine Gael. Yeah. Because what they do is they their candidates largely live, went to college, and have experienced life in little wealthy enclaves in Dublin. Dublin is overall a very poor city. Yes. But it has these super wealthy enclaves that skew all the figures. And they're just 20 minutes away from massively poor enclaves that, that are much bigger. nothing. Yeah, they have nothing. It's just miles and miles and miles of yeah. flats and just misery and real despair. And that's a real huge problem for this country. And so they live in these little enclaves. Anyone who's American is getting a certain DC tingle vibe, <laughs> you should be getting that. And they live in these areas... And they then, they might come from somewhere down the country. Yes. And what they do is they parachute back there and the local party machine will then put them up and they will say, I'm from such and such a town, even though they haven't lived there in 15, 20, 35 years. But an even bigger issue, as I see it, is that we've talked about the Fianna Fáil and the Sinn Féin machines before. They're amazing. Right? Um, Labour had a machine. It was never very good because they kept recruiting from basically people who joined the Socialist Party in uh, colleges. Yeah. And it's not very sustainable. And then they betrayed all their messages. And <laughs> I mean, they, they, they very much essentially just decided, like, well, just Trotsky yourselves. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, the problem with Fine Gael, they never had a machine. No. Fine Gael always had its solid base. And patrilineal. They were always and, a family yeah. party. And then inevitably what would happen... Fianna Fáil would screw up, Fianna Gael would reap the benefits. Yeah. The problem is now is that Fianna Gael, probably for the first time in its history, is actually trying to create a political machine. And they're idiots, so they seem to be looking to the UK and the US. Which is hilarious. Because it's, 
if if they have another general election, there's a good chance they will still lose a couple of seats. Oh, they have ten marginals. They're very likely um, to lose five of those. I mean, which is a very bad sign for their attempts at a political machine. But they don't seem to understand, right? So the first thing was they tried the recovery angle. If Radcar gets in charge, he will probably continue a sort of welfare fraud. Uh, oh, I, no, no. I th- he kind of signaled this. This is, I think, and actually, if, mm-hmm. he, if he becomes the leader, we'll see if I'm right. Yeah. This will be the strategy. Sinn Féin kill people. You can't trust them. Fianna Fáil fucked the economy. That's a genius strategy no one in Ireland has ever, ever thought of before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fianna Fáil fucked the economy. You can't have them. Uh, we might do business with Labour. The far lefties should be banned from the doll because they don't wear ties. And he'll, he, he won't be able to talk to the independents because he actually has never had a communication with a rural person. And actually, this is an even bigger problem for them that occurs to me. Aside from their completely alienating Sinn Féin voters for the past six, seven years... Um, so they can't win anyone who's remotely sympathetic to Sinn Féin, really. They're not going to give them a five. Um, Fianna Fáil, they have a fairly, like, it's a fluid kind of thing going voter-wise there at the moment. Uh, anyone who actually backed Labour and left Labour, they're not going to Fianna Gael. They, they no. just abandoned Labour. But the big problem they really have is the Solidarity Alliance. I'm just going to call them the Solidarity Alliance from now on. I can't, call I can't. Them that. Yeah. Yeah. Because... They are pretty much the mortal enemies of Fine Gael now yep. because of the water protests yep. and because of the Jobstown trial, which I forgot was another thing in the news, in the news that's happening, yep. which was a number of protesters arrested over um, in, fal- false imprisonment. Or, Jesus, did they even go for kidnapping or something? I can't they went remember. for false imprisonment. False imprisonment. Of a government minister. Um, for two hours. Well, what that means, just to be clear, is that she sat in a car Surrounded by Gardaí. With with her political (laughs) advisors, while angry people shouted at her car. And some gobshites, and I'll say this, some Uh, gobshites did take it way too far. I I was definitely on the side if they took it too far. But But, here's the thing. I didn't think that you should round up a bunch of them in the morning and arrest them and charge them. And this includes, by the way... Teenagers. And... Other TDs. Yes, the government, uh, no, an opposition TD. Yeah. The, here's the thing. like Some people, when they're at a demo, go way out of the, what is the normal thing to do. And the, what annoys me about it is that it always reflects badly on all the normal people who are just there and just were pissed off and, and shouting. In and Ireland, it's legal to shout. And in Ireland, we do have an issue where protesters generally do poorly at understanding how to control their own movement. The yabos, it's, yeah. it's an issue. Now, look... And they recognise it, to be fair. I don't... Yeah, they do know this. I don't think that any of the people involved in Jobstown... The Jobstown town... How do you... Jobs, Jobstown. Jobstown thing... <laughs> I can't even talk. Jobstown thing should go to trial hmm. because, basically, people are allowed to be mad at government ministers. Yeah. And I went and I looked at, into some of this. In the 1980s, um, Charlie Hawhey was hit in the head with a tomato by a student. And Charlie Hawhey got on with it. Yeah. He didn't turn around and say, that child must be thrown in prison. For assault and battery. Yeah, which is what he could have said. Yeah. He was hit in the head with a tomato. So, like, to be honest, I, I kind of sit there and go, A, it's a massive overreaction. Yeah. You're using a hell of a lot of taxpayers' money. And then we heard, of course, Joan Bruton lied on the stand. She committed perjury. Did you not hear this? No, I did not. She said that she feared for her life. And I think she said, I felt like Mandela. 
<laughs> there was some mental quote from her. I didn't get the full thing, but it was some mental quote, right? She basically, she pushed the angle that she was in fear for her life or whatever. And, okay, maybe she was. I don't know. Then, the, op- the defense lawyers subpoenaed the phones <laughs> of the people inside the car and found a recording between her and her chief political advisor, and she's saying, write it in a tweet, say that it's terrible. And she sounds completely, like, she's just dictating how to message. Oh, God. What is it with... So you can't, you can't on the one hand say, I felt fear for my life, and then I was also yes. dictating press conferences and on the phone quite normally to people. So just doing general work. Yeah. Yeah. You, you perjured yourself. Yeah. You lied to a court of law. And here's, here's the thing. That means that the only people really, that Fianna Gael can win voters from is Fianna Fáil. Yeah. They have made either enemies of the left-wing power. And that's the other thing. They have solidly either, A, helped destroy the left-wing parties or made solid enemies. There's a reason Sinn Féin will never go near Fianna Gael. No. Which means they can only steal from Fianna Fáil. And some independents. And some independents. But there is a problem with trying to steal from the independents because the independent voters are more prone towards Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin yeah. and the Solidarity Alliance. Yeah. Because if you're voting independent, you're probably not big into the establishment. <laughs> and especially considering, lo and behold, where are most independents from? Rural areas! <laughs> and where are those rural areas? Really not a fan of Gardaí? The same locations the independents come from. Exactly. And who presided over these Gardaí and these scandals? Fine Gael, exactly. Yeah. Which means Coveney might be able to smooth things over in those regions. Radcar hasn't a hope. No. Not no. a hope in hell. Has has Coveney and no, sorry, has Radcar ever given a speech on the record about farming or agricultural issues? I would be very surprised the man had ever seen a shovel. Okay. That's that's really <laughs> bad. Like because Simon was like I have to say this. I think Simon was probably our most gifted minister for agriculture in quite a long time. Oh yeah. He had degrees in it. He understood it. He was he dealt with that the the meat scandal. It was amazing. But you can see why farmers love him. It was an it was a testament to just efficiency. He was just really good at dealing with agriculture. Since he's left agriculture, things have not done well for Simon because he's now the minister for problems. Yes. Now in fairness, Enda did that to him to be a prick. Well, because Enda was... Prop, prop, well, he was worried and justifiably yeah, 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 so exactly. if you're Enda Kenny. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, don't, I just don't... I can't imagine Radcar managing to hold the rural votes. I, you have to remember, though, that they have a different system now. This is the other thing. This is the first election for a Fine Gael leader using their new system. So, okay... Just again so, for the non-Irish so, listeners. Just a moment. When I hear new system, <laughs> I just don't imagine this is going to be great. This is not going to go okay. well. Usually in Irish politics, the party leader is picked by the parliamentary party. In recent years, there's been a push towards involving the membership. Because they feel that a more primary style system would be a good idea. Hmm. After watching Trump, I don't think that's a good idea. But anyway, there's this move towards more primaries or a primary-like system. Not anything as open as America, which just lets this blundering asshole just get involved in it. But like, it's still more open. Yeah. So Fine Gael decided that what they would do is they would create weighted percentages, which is a nightmare. So 70% of the vote 
or is it? I think it's 70. Yeah, 70% of the vote is given to the members of the parliamentary party. So uh -huh. that's members of Fine Gael who are in the Dáil and then the Shannon. 20% is from... This is hard. 20%, yeah. I'm trying to remember all this. 20% is county councillors. And 10% is the membership. So as little as humanly possible, possible to give them something to do. Now, Jesus. how do you weight that electorally because they're all going to have to do multiple ballots and I have no idea how anyone's going to become leader from this nightmare but there are basically three candidates one of which is almost certainly not going to win Yeah, and it's really unfortunate because Fine Gael could do with some female leadership considering yes. it's had a whole bunch of blokes for a very long time actually every party's had yes. blokes they it's could Sinn all do it and, uh, Labour uh, yeah and the the oh. Greens, no. The, the, the PDs. Oh, yeah. And then we had the Social Democrats as well. Yeah. The newer parties. The newer parties yeah. are good, better. Yeah. Not good, better on gender. Um, the older parties are still terrible. So, uh, Frances Fitzgerald is never going to get elected because she's been the Minister for Justice over all this massive scandals. And yes. Also, she, she just doesn't answer questions well or yeah. at all. So, it's pretty much going to come down to... There will be a third person. There will be a dark horse. I have no idea who that is, but it's Fine Gael. There's always a dark horse. Yes. Now, the way it's weighted, the system, right? The dark horse can't come out of the county council or membership pool. Yeah. So that's how they've rigged it. Basically, you... But it's a fantastic system because yeah. you don't even need... the. You don't even... You just need, um, the, like, majority of the doll and you're done. I don't know how they've weighted it. Yeah. But yeah, I'm assuming that could just yeah. I mean, I was expecting they might come up with a new system where it's fifty percent people who are friends of the current leader. Yeah, I mean yeah, that's, that's kind of what it is. So, so this is their new electoral system. I have no idea how it's going to work. It's kind of like when Charlie Hawhey said, "You can't get rid of me. I'm going to have a special Ardesh, and the Ardesh yes. will elect me." Yeah, and that's what he did. <laughs> it was a mental thing to do. Um, so I don't think this is going to work very well. But it means that it'll be a big long hustings. Yes, but this leads to. The question of the general election. Oh, God. See, there is the big concern. Anyone wins that, there's a good chance that Fianna Fáil might just decide this might be a good opportunity to collapse the government. Mm -hmm. I mean, they may have made promises not to do that, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, who trusts them? Like, Well, not even that. That was a year ago. No, who yeah. can remember a year ago? Yeah, you know? yeah, I, mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, another general election in the middle of Fianna Gael's leadership contest would be genius. Well, I mean... Especially since the reason I think that this is a possibility is I imagine Fianna Fáil is finally beginning to They make also up. really don't like Leo. Oh, they really they don't. They really hate Leo. But there's also an aspect of I imagine they're also having that slight wake-up of maybe their number of scandals is just about reaching enough that people will forget about or past. Well, I think also, like, if you're a Fianna Fáil voter, and I know a few Fianna Fáil mm. voters, and I've said this to the few I know, I said, well, aren't you pissed off that your, your lot yeah. are keeping up this lot? Who you don't like? Sorry, that's a totally banal way of phrasing it, but yes, I, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Other way. I don't know. There's no other way to say it. Um, and like, they are pissed off. So I think that they're going to start to get more and more pressure from their hardcore supporters who are like, "What the hell are you doing? Keeping Fine Gael in power? They're just yeah. wrecking the show." Um, and the, the the polls for Fianna Fáil have shown a kind of steady increase. It's still in the twenties, but it's uh, an increase. They're all, they're of much of a muchness with Fine Gael again. Yeah, yeah, which is good for them, you know. I mean, 
I think the next general election will probably be similar to the first one we had last year, except that, you know, we'll just have more independence and more bloody chaos. Yeah. Maybe it, we'll get Fianna Fáil, but... I mean, the thing is, it could be ungovernable. I mean, there is a very high probability that the numbers just don't add up to actually govern it at all. Which actually... Um, which nobody's really thought about. Well, if funnily enough, it seems to be an almost popular situation in Ireland of not being able to pass more bills. Mm. Uh, we, yeah, we looked at the polling on that as well. There was a polling question, and it was the worst phrase question I've seen in a long time. But basically what it was asking was, um, do you think, do you agree... Oh, I'll rephrase that, sorry. Oh, don't, don't worry about the question. We'll never forget it right. It wanted to know, <laughs> were you happy with the current situation where no government can pass any legislation? Well, because they need to have debate, and under Fine Gael, they really did not like discussion oh no 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 that, that's totally unfair Fina Gale <laughs> believed in discussion in two minute segments behind closed behind doors, closed doors <laughs> from 11 45 to 3 a.m and then the bill was passed mm. at 3 15 yeah now that is lots of discussion time when people are going to the <laughs> doll bar they're having a few scoops they're staggering back in to vote i mean i think there's loads of discussion time yes. there you know, between the bathroom, the bar, and the and the floor, yeah, you've got loads of time. And before they call the vote, there's a good minute or two. There's a good know. minute or two. You could ask your political advisor what the hell and what true, you're supposed to do. It's not as if you could vote against them anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's been well known that the voting cards for Fine Gael are all rigged to be yes anyway. <laughs> uh, so you agree with this? Yes. So, yeah, the, it mm. seems weird that the polls show that people want more change, but yet are quite happy with the fact that nothing can happen. And I think the only reason they're able to, to, to have such a contradictory view is because we actually haven't had any major issues that are affecting people's lives yet. Well, yet there is, is the a, thing. There is an additional thing, which was both genius and stupid on Fianna, Falls, Fianna Gael's part, sorry, where the Citizens' Assembly is fantastic for Fianna Gael because it means that things they don't want to deal with they can just say, well, we didn't have, as I've called it before, it's their little puppet of like, you're going to hold a referendum. And then <laughs> Fina Gale goes, oh, God, we do have to hold a referendum, you know. Um, they, it does what they have to do, but Fina Gale gets to go, well, we didn't, we don't want yeah. to, but the puppet. The agency told uh, us, yeah, yeah, exactly. But the problem is, is that this has created a thing where, okay, the past gay marriage, abortion referendum coming up, but the problem is, is that even if those pass, Fine Gael actually can't claim any victory from it. No. Because people go, but your puppet did that. You didn't do it. Yep. Like, so it allows them to keep their voters happy, but it gains them no voters no. on the whole. No. It is somewhat... It's kind of like saving yourself by shackling yourself to the railings of the Titanic, yet you've definitely not fallen in the ocean yet, but it's just a delaying tactic. It's a delaying tactic, yeah. But I think the problem is that they, they feel that they can't make any movement there. Yeah. And also, they are unwilling to seek out new voters. Yes. And if they put Simon in charge, they won't get any new voters. But a lot of voters will probably go, yeah, he's Fine Gael. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of shit there I don't like. But he doesn't scare the hell out of me. Yes. Whereas Vradkar... Tolerable is, is the phrase someone used. And actually, that is, that is the thing that has to be kept in mind about Irish elections. Mm. We don't elect the person we love... We elect the person we can live with. Or tolerate. Yeah. And Vradkar is intolerable. Oh, to certain sections of the population, he is the bee's knees and can do no wrong and yeah, is the great... Like the wealthiest area you know, in the country. hope of the world. But um, for most of the country and most people I know, he is sort of... 
kind of looked upon as the worst of the worst Fine Gael has ever come up with. He also um, poses a massive problem for the dwindling Republican uh, Republican areas that Fine Gael has traction in. Yes. Because how the hell do you run in a Republican area as a Fine Gaeler? And if you are a Fine Gaeler in a Republican area, you're Republican friendly? Yes. <laughs> Doesn't mean you're shit or light, but you're Republican friendly. And then you have this raving lunatic Tory. Regardless of, look. Like, that Regardless of if he's actually, like, 100% doing what Thatcher would like him to do, he comes across very Thatcherish. And that he is. He is a walking attack ad on himself. He is just uranium. Yeah. He's just dangerous. Yeah. Um, he, I can't think of a single issue that. Fine Gael is going to come up against where he is the best candidate to deal with it. He is the worst candidate for pretty much every issue facing the country in Fine Gael, in my view. He is very little, as I've said before, he can't weigh in on the abortion referendum very well, not only because he's a man, he's also a gay man, which poses difficulties. Um, he doesn't have the track record that most other Irish politicians have of my great-granddad fought in the civil wars, so he doesn't have great stance on the nationalistic Republican front of United Ireland, which no. is an issue that's coming up. He's terrible for most people in the west of Ireland for the notion of Brexit negotiations because they see him as pretty British feeling to them. <laughs> so they go, why are we sending a British guy to represent us? We like the lad from Mayo. Yeah. At least he definitely wasn't British. Yeah, there is that. Um, light. And... He seems to be looking to continue the same failed campaign strategies of Enda Kenny. Yeah, that's the weird one. Where's the change? Well, it's just all for the worse as far as I can see. I mean, look, he definitely looks better for Fina Gale because, you know, it, yeah, it's definitely a change from white guy from a farm somewhere in May. Yeah, 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 I get that. But, but, like, I don't understand how... Okay, so the initial shock wears off and people... Because, like, there will the be international... The shock wore off ages ago. No, no, but there will be... Oh, like, yeah, international. Okay, let's, let's play it out. He becomes Taoiseach, right? Yes. Taoiseach Leo. God help us. So Taoiseach Leo takes over. There will be international headlines. Arla Catholic Ireland elects first gay... Taoiseach, even though he wasn't elected. He even got in through it. Kind of hilariously, also from our more conservative party, which is going to be a great difficulty it's to really explain. It's a head scratcher yeah. for all the other people. So, so there'll be two weeks of that. Uh, he will get a total walkover by the press. Yeah. There's not a single journalist I can think of who's that critical of him. Most of them give him a pass. They go, oh, well, Leo's great. And the reason they give him a pass is because he's fantastic for leaks. Well, there's that. And there's the simple thing of... As you said, he has never no none of his departments have had anything go wrong. They have that the minute is, he left. They have the minute he's <laughs> left, which is you know, a bit of an indicator, really, that something was wrong and he got out in time. Yeah. But there's also an aspect of if that's the best you have, is well, he didn't fuck up. And to be fair, that does seem to be par for the course for Fine Gael ministers. That like yeah. fucking up is almost you know task one on day <laughs> one of being a minister. I mean, if that's the best you've got, there's not a that might stand to him as a cabinet member. How does that stand to you as a teacher? Very badly. Because that means that what he will do is he will lick his finger yeah. and see which way is the wind blowing. And that means he becomes a populist, sort of, right? Yes. But if he tries to be a right-wing populist, who is he being populist for? His most ardent supporters are wealthy, out-of-touch journalists 
wealthy out-of-touch owners of newspapers, wealthy out-of-touch people who live in increasingly wealthy gated communities. None of those people agree with populism. They want tax cuts. They want to privatize everything. They want to use machines instead of people. How is that a populist message? It an, isn't. An additional thing to remember is that he will also continue. He does not have the man on the ground experience that Coveney has. No. Say what you want. Coveney knew how to deal with the farmers. And believe us, farmers are very difficult to deal with as a group in Ireland. They're the one group in Ireland, aside from pensioners, that if you try to screw them, they will destroy the country in a week by driving tractors very slowly on every road. Yep. It is a genius technique that they have always used to get their way. They also will just block roads. But he kept them happy. Very difficult to do. Radcar has kept no one happy. Not in any of the departments he's run in. For the, not in the health there, sector. Has there been an industrial action in every department but this one, but this one with him? I believe so. So, like, and he's an anti-union guy. Like, and this is the other thing about anti-union guys. So, so Shane Ross is a, is a hmm. comparative example, right? Uh, Shane Ross is more articulate than Leo because he's older. He's learned how to lie yeah. better, right? He's, he's gotten it together. And he also sounds plummy in English and there's all that other problems. Um, he totally is a Westbrook. He's very happy with that. Yeah. So, you look at him and you go, okay, this man hates unions, Mr. Ross. Yeah. Uh, he's then put in charge of transport. He spent 20 years bashing unions, both in his political career and in the column he had in a newspaper. He once described unions or union management as traitors to the country. Yes, which is kind of difficult to sell considering the origins of this country. Yeah, so he says this, unions hate him, management despise him personally, and he has had non-stop problems in the Department of Transit. What you say and the impressions of big groups about you that are in your sectoral interest matter. So Leo becomes Tishik. There's a lot of people who are in unions in this country who really don't like him and really don't like anti-union people but and feel under siege. There's an even bigger issue that Fine Gael, Fine Gael's general strategy for strikes, as far as I can tell, is to ignore it until it goes away. Now, this can work to an extent. Because there's legal frameworks in place yeah, now. But the problem is, is that they were just racking up strike after strike. Ross recently presided over the current, uh, well, the bus uh, Aaron strike, strike yeah. which led went on a, for yeah. three weeks and a bit. And led to a Wildcat Dublin bus strike. Led to a Wildcat Dublin bus strike. Possibly we'll see how uh, the, the company bus Aaron will actually survive after this. But he did absolutely nothing during this entire time as Minister for Transport. And bus Aaron is pretty much the core transport service for the country. So, this is Fine Gael's tactic for dealing with strikes. Now, you can do this for strike after strike after strike, but eventually you hit in one that you can't do it for. Also, what happens if they happen together? Oh God, we haven't even got to that wonderful yeah. thing. But what do they do? They have not had to deal, I don't believe it, they have to deal with a nursing strike. Action, I know they have a Action. lot happening off. Full strike, no. But if, so. what do they do with a full fucking strike? Nothing. So if they do nothing, you, people won't blame the nurses in that situation people if like nurses. they choose to do nothing. People really like nurses. Yeah. The people, they're not wild about doctors, but they really like nurses. Um, and Radcar is not going to be able to negotiate with unions. I don't believe so. He is, I have no indicator that he's capable of dealing with this. No. Didn't he say during the Lewis strike that we should automate them? Yes. So he's on record saying that jobs should be automated. 
Yes. He says we should use machines instead of people. Which of course. So you're so you're a union guy. You're unionized. You're working in a you're working a, a cleaning job. You you scrub the floor or whatever. Which uh, actually, I would just like to take a moment to point out. This is a guy who is obviously not the most pro social welfare. Who wants to automate blue collar jobs. Um, you can see where his unpopularity comes from. Yeah. He wants to automate jobs. And also, by the way, it's not. This isn't like a forty-seven percent. He didn't like say this quietly somewhere. He no. like broadcasts. He likes to talk. Yes. So it's mental. Like I don't understand. He just keeps saying it. And his wine drinking friends can talk about. Yeah, how, how great disastrous he is. it is. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. I mean, he is bloody awful. And the reason we've spent so much time on it is because I am frustrated that he gets a free pass. A lot of people believe and agree with what I'm saying, but their voice is not heard. So I'm sort of yes. chanting a little bit of that for this, which is why this is a little bit more intemperate than we normally are. But and to be honest, if you've been looking at politics the way we have, right? And we've had a bunch of interesting episodes over the last yeah. year, uh, because we're in, I'm not going to say what month it is, but anyway, we're in <laughs> the fourth, fifth month. Yeah. And um, you look at it and you just can't help but get frustrated because you're going... Okay, so there's two people who might become leader of Fine Gael. One is tolerable. He'll do conservative shit, but he's not a maniac. Well, we he, expect it from Fine Gael. Yeah. It's a conservative party. That's fine. It's a conservative party, but like, he also isn't like you know ideologically hell-bent on wreaking chaos on yeah. the whole country. Then we have another guy who is a complete ideological, very consistently ideological. Give him his credit. Yeah. He truly believes in a abhorrent far-right ideological stuff and he will do it and it's important to bear in mind in case you're listening to this from other countries and you think that we're being a bit harsh on his right-wing policies by saying they're far-right in this country they're extremely far-right for what we're used to every country has their own political spectrum Um, he is on the far right of ours uh and he's just going to bleed them voters yeah uh he will preside over the collapse of that party back to usual standing yeah, I mean, unless he's really like... I believe. No, he, I believe. Now, here's, here's the one thing about the Leo bounce, right? There's, there's been this thing in the Irish Times, we've made a lot of fun out of it, where there's this one journalist who keeps saying that all her friends know who Leo is, therefore Leo's very <laughs> popular, which I love that. That's the most statistical thing I've ever seen. You know, my friends know who he is. Great political oh, analysis. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, I've, I went to some meetings of the Communist Party. They thought, you know, Stalin had some good ideas. I mean, I reckon his thinking is going to have a re- re- revolution. It's, it's going, going to come a, back. It'll be a resurgence. Yeah. You know, we'll see 1921 all over yeah, again. Turn Leitrim into a gulag or something. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's total, that <laughs> makes sense, doesn't it? So there is this thing about him being popular with young people. And I think he is popular in a sort of odd way, as in that people know who he is. But here's the funny thing. As you saw in that polling... He's not massively popular with young people. It's like 30%. Yeah, same as everyone else. Yeah. He's mainly popular with... Wealthy people. And the, the age group was 30s... 35, no, 30, it was 35 to yeah. 49. They're not young people. No. They might be young in comparison to many politicians, Yeah, but they're not young people. Yeah, that's the highest group that he was popular with. Yeah. In my age bracket, it's like 20-something. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing about Leo is funny... Um, I think the more you know about him, the less you like. Yes. So on surface... I actually thought surface, quite de- be decently yeah. of him initially. Yeah. That, then I thought about him. I, I didn't know who he was. <laughs> I was just like, oh, he's that chap. Yeah. I didn't know him. I didn't have an opinion. Then I started figuring out who he was. Then my opinion went, this is a deeply dangerous threat to the state. Yeah. That, that was the flip. You know what I mean? And also, 
Okay, so the next leader, Fine Gael, and Michal Martin, yeah. whoever else becomes Taoiseach, is going to have to deal with three major crises. The complete meltdown of our police and justice system, if these guys continually mm. screwed with the data, which it looks like yeah. they did. And if anyone who thinks that I'm over the top, let me tell you, if you have to overturn the amount of court stuff, which you will have to do, because people have rights in this country. Yeah. If they've basically been imprisoned on false pretenses, they can but sue. regardless, they can constantly appeal and bring this stuff up. Yes, exactly. So you're going to have a whole mess in the in this, the criminal and civil legislative... Um, Which, by the way, is also going to kill Fine Gael's ability to campaign on justice and being tough on crime. Yeah. When they're making so that's up gone. Crime. Yeah, that doesn't work. <laughs> so the, the leader's going to have to deal with that issue. They're going to have to deal with the economy. Because the economy is in a really, really, really bad place. It's in a dangerous place. Uh, oh, no, I think it's actually in a really bad place because the we're risk bubble. Of a, we're at risk of bubble. a bubble. We're in a bubble. Um, and we've not, no one's really sure what the in- impacts of Brexit will be in this country. Yeah. Uh, and especially, you know, just in case, the Brexit aspect also has to do with the United Ireland issue. Which is a whole other deal. That I know a lot of people think 10, 20 years down the line, but as we've seen the past couple of years... 10, 20 years can happen in a couple of months. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Things that were once considered undoable, yeah. I've become very doable. So, yeah, you've got you've got a massive problem with the police. You've got the economy writ large. You've got individual things within the economic thing that I don't know if anyone in Fine Gael has either the expertise or the know-how to get it sorted. Well, they possibly have the wrong data. <laughs> well, that too. Uh, and then this is the other one, and this is the third one, and it's important as well, is that what does Fine Gael stand for? Right? Fianna Fáil ran out of steam in their last government because yes. they did three terms. And their last one kind of ran out of steam because Brian Cam was kind of wandering around going, well, well, I'm in charge because I'm in charge. And there yeah. wasn't there wasn't like a vision. Okay, look, Brian, as I said earlier, I said, you know, if Brian maybe wasn't hammered all the time and he was like sober, maybe we would have gotten a vision. We would have had a coherent vision. A coherent vision. <laughs> we didn't have one. And so, but like Fianna Fáil didn't have a raise and detriment for being in power except yeah. to be in power. Yes. Fine Gael are getting a, uh, increasingly close to they're in power, but what exactly are the things but, that are driving you to take power? The problem that they're really going to be hitting up on, and I'll, I'll think we'll far finish up on this, yeah. is that the strikes are going to increase. Yeah. Without Fine Gael rolling out some serious reversals of changes that you know they presided over in many cases, Fianna Fáil did preside over a lot of them too, to be fair, but unless they start rolling back some of these things, they're going to see more and more strikes. And they don't want to deal with those strikes. And here's the problem. Eventually, they'll hit upon the one that they can't just hope away. And the agency that they usually used to deal with industrial action or massive large-scale protests are the cops. Yes. Who are and also compromised. Additionally, this ties into the thing of, to a lot of people, if you're looking at Fine Gael, they do have one thing they stand for. Anti-union. That's really all. Yeah. Anti-union and social conservative. Yeah. And on that note, that ends our rather haphazard... Um, ramble. Ramble. <laughs> uh, ramble, exactly. Our ramble in this um, quarter in review. We will be doing more podcasts. I, I know we haven't spoken that much about the UK general election, but that's because not a lot has actually happened, fellas. So we're, give us a break. We're gonna... it's, it's got one interesting thing, that she called an election probably to secure her mandate and head of talks. That's yeah. really all there is to say about it at this point in time. And there's a good chance that she actually won't get anywhere near the majority she thinks. 
Yeah, and they uh, have significant impacts on the uh, north yeah. in terms of the power of the, the massive unionists. Border. Yeah. yeah. So, um, that ends this discussion. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter. And uh, if you do have a chance, would you please go and give us a, a rating on or review on uh, iTunes? Okay, thank you and goodbye. <laughs>